0: Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first
2: month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
3: I'm Rebecca King Ferraro.
2: And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by choreographer Arthur Pita. Arthur's choreography has been featured across a broad spectrum of art forms, including opera, ballet, film, and musical theater. He never shies away from taking artistic risks like tackling Kafka's metamorphosis or creating to the music of Björk. Today we talk to Arthur about his surprising early inspirations, finding his way to his own choreographic voice, and how his new work for Houston Ballet found its way to the stage after navigating its way through the pandemic. If you are in the Houston area, you can see Arthur's Good Vibrations starting Thursday, September 22nd through October 2nd. You can purchase tickets at www.houstonballet.org. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us once again on Conversations on Dance. It's been uh, a little over four years since we last talked to you, so we've got a lot to catch up on. But we figured we'd reacquaint our audiences with you, anyone that may have missed that episode, uh, and just hear a little bit about your beginnings in dance, how you became interested, and then at what point that sort of um, became choreography-oriented.
0: Yeah. Well, the very beginnings would have been um, seeing an advert for a local dance school called Dynamo's Dance World. And uh, my sisters uh, wanted to learn how to dance. And I was, uh, at that point, like, obsessed with John Travolta <laughs> and, uh, and also with being a magician. I remember the, that's the thing that I, like, I wanted to study, to be a magician and uh because i was also obsessed with david copperfield so it was like this mixture Mm. of david copperfield and john Travolta, and um and then so we started going to the local dance school to learn uh latin american and uh disco dancing and it all kind of stemmed from there i did that for a long time um as a kid into my early teens and then i went to um the johannesburg art ballet drama and music school and that's where um you know, it became more serious and I started uh, training in ballet and contemporary and and we did flamenco as well. And we also Mm -hmm. did Greek, Greek dance, which was uh, sort of, I don't really know what it was. It wasn't like traditional Greek, but it was kind of like interpretive Greek dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so that that was it and then it just one thing led to another but i had a wonderful uh contemporary dance teacher sonia mayo who uh, was very influential in south africa at the time and she was choreographing and she choreographed in us and the moment i started um being a part of her work and when i was watching what she was creating on the other students because she like she went full out and um i remember she did a piece once and she used um laurie anderson's album big science Mm -hmm. which is such a great and i remember like as a young teen just being like obsessed like i just didn't i didn't know what it was because i didn't know what even what the art form was Mm -hmm. um and just going that's that's what i'd like to do so she was a great uh influence and then um and then i and then i graduated from school and then went to um london contemporary dance school to do the masters and then to and to major in uh, choreography.
3: So what was kind of some of the work then that you would do in school then for choreography? What were some of the ways that um, they taught you to compose and put dances together? Tell us a little bit about um, what you were learning there.
0: Yeah, it's so, um, I think at the beginning, um, I was also obsessed with in the middle, somewhat elevated, because that had that was on TV in South Africa. There was a documentary on Silver Gear.
2: I remember that and, documentary. We all, yeah, like, know, we all had that on VHS. People, like, the
0: wings. There is like <laughs> that shot of her from the wings, and mm-hmm. she's like going on and off stage and this is, and you can see her working with Bill. And I was just like, I used to watch that over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So I think in the very early days when I arrived at London, the Down dance school, I didn't know if I wanted to be Sylvie or Bill I, <laughs> <laughs> Like, you
1: know,
0: because I was training as hard as I could. And I was like, come on, get those legs up. You know, I wanted to be this like technical, like, perfection and at the same time i thought well wouldn't it be amazing to be responsible for creating something so fantastic Uh so i think in the early days you know you kind of you you, you imitate your inspiration Mm -hmm. so i think i started doing lots of kind of like leggy for kind of stuff um very very early days until you you know until i found you know essentially my voice um but you know we had fantastic um, choreography teachers, and one of them was uh, Victoria Marks, who was just such a, a fantastic, fantastic um, teacher who was really encouraging, but really, really open, and really made you look at work. And she would, um, you know, there were a lot of um, in the in the lectures that we would do with her. She would sometimes uh, not let you have an opinion and just. You know, we had to explain what we saw. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because people always started with, "I like and I don't like." Right. It's like, and she was like, "No, what did you see?" You know, and and or if you were trying to ex- if you were trying to create something that was really complex and maybe over intellectual or or just something very very that you couldn't get out, she go, "Okay, tell me, explain it to me as if I'm a five year old." You know, mm-hmm. and then that would always be like, and still now sometimes I go, "Oh, that's a little ex- good exercise." Okay, just let me explain it to myself. You know, like right. And then that helps. So that I was I was very lucky that um, we that I was part of a generation that we caught fantastic um, teachers, you know, people like Victoria Marx but also um, people from uh, like Ronald Emblem from the Royal Ballet who taught us ballet, Brenda Last, you know, um, and another teacher called Juliette Fisher who had, who had like developed her own technique. Um, so it was just this kind of amazing. Golden time, and I, I loved it. Yeah, so I think I've got influenced by all of that.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so you're talking about finding your own voice outside of just doing the the bill copying. Yes. um <laughs> So, w- w- once you find you started finding yourself in your own work, um, what would you say some of the qualities or traits that you, like what were what were you drawn to in choreography? When once you started exploring what you were interested in,
0: yeah, I think so. I, I think it was what what is happening and why are they doing it. So I think when it was just creating steps in an abstract mm-hmm. kind of way, which is like almost creating a style, mm-hmm. um, I felt like I couldn't find that because that's what I found. That, oh, I'm just kind of like imitating like what's around. Because you know right. at that time um I was using my own body, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I think what happened was I started to think about like really what I wanted to explain. So I wanted to put uh, the dancer in the situation um, so that they knew why they were doing the dance. And Mm -hmm. so therefore something more narrative and more narrative work started to come into play or a concept where it would be um, understood as to why it needed to happen in space and time. And um, then I would... um, I guess I start, you know, it was also about what was happening in cinema and what was, you know, what has been influenced by cinematically and the kind of moods that I would like. Um, And, you know, so I was trying to kind of get into that uh, psyche. And um, because I hadn't really um, kind of delved much into the ballet world, you know, I was quite sort of strict contemporary, Mm -hmm. um, apart from from Forsyth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... As things opened up, you know, it was like, it's, it's been actually the ballet's only been, I have really, I would say discovered ballet in the, the last like 15 years mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, uh, I guess, you know, I think you start to find things and you go, oh, I've done that. And then, I've, oh, I'm doing that again, but in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, is that, is that like, is that my thing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you like to think that you're doing something different every time. <laughs> yeah. But then you, but then I do think that um, there is a language, you know. And I go, oh, there's that, there's a shape, you know. And I remember I was working with uh, when, when I worked with Wendy Whelan and Eva Watson, and Wendy was like, "What's your like? What's your like trademark?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't, i don't know if I have like a like a trademark." Like she goes, there must be like a shape or something." And I said, "Oh, actually, I think I do have one, and it happens like in almost every piece, and it's like when the leg, it's like when the foot over crosses above the knee."
1: Uh-huh. um
0: in like a in like a retiree but um which so it looks like a number four right but basically i say for some reason there's always a kind of a number four shape somewhere within the dance so like mm-hmm. little things like that
3: yeah I, that. I, we- I wonder you mentioned like cinema and movies i wonder what um was that what you're gonna ask me yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> what some of those like early pop culture um influences were that um made their way into your early work so
0: so many i think it was that whole um movement of those 90s you know the 90s art art movies there's the the big wave of those films you know like um what's eating gilbert grape Mm -hmm. um do you know those kind of like something that went something that goes deeper um arizona dream was like a massive one which is like another those are two like johnny depp ones Mm -hmm. yeah um Definitely, the Lynch stuff was was massive, uh-huh. um, but mostly because you know, um, well not only because I loved it, but there was so much I was learning from it in terms of like sound. Like I was just trying to pick up every single little detail of like why it was fe- why was it feeling like that, you know. Um, so that's what I was fascinated with there, and then as well as that you know as well as things like you know like Baz verban's romeo and juliet and all that kind of like uplifting stuff so it's just it's a whole mixture of that of all of those films that i was just um, loving because you know as a student we had there was i think it was a cinema just called the prince charles cinema in london and i think it was one pound to go see a film Mm -hmm. so Mm. we would go all the time you know and watch like sometimes back to back
2: I think it's interesting that, um, like, I, I I can see these influences, like, um, like David Copperfield and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, David Lynch. I can see those in your work more than I would like necessarily, like, immediately, like, draw you to another choreographer. Like, it's it's definitely like your um, the breadth of your influences is is more obvious to me than just like okay this is like this is from this school of dance so i, I think that's really cool that that reads in your work and that um it's it's, it's fun to hear you talk about that specifically like the, the lynchian aspects like when you know the tenant like i was just like that that was definitely you were giving us some lynch there um, yeah absolutely love. i
0: think it's the you know um i mean you know i always get sort of i would never i don't know because i i have you know i hold that in such high regard you know and especially i guess especially something like twin peaks because that was
2: my favorite show
0: <laughs> yeah because that was that was um but you know um so the thing about twin peaks is that i was um sort of a, a teen in south africa where there was you know we were felt, i felt very far away it's sort of very cut off from what was happening culturally in the world mm-hmm. and when that came on tv and i remember that first episode i was like i oh i didn't like what is this i don't know what this is i'm but I just loved the mood of it. And I just remember like crying during it because there was just, you know, just such a deep sadness that I didn't really understand, but it was affecting me um, in such a powerful way. Um, So I became like obsessed with it. And I think I've watched like the whole thing, like three, four times Mm -hmm. over and, and the latest season as well, which it just kind of gets more and more, you know, this this beautiful like puzzle that you're trying to work out. But um, yeah, but definitely uh, it's, there's definitely that place that I love, which is um, I guess which is playing with the real and the surreal, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. And I think I always think if you if you want to enter a surreal place, you have to kind of demonstrate the reality first. So it's kind of like if you you know, you have to be you have to be real to be surreal is my little motto to myself. Mm-hmm. Yes
3: you and michael were like the same teenagers maybe <laughs> I like it. Um, so i wonder when you decided am i gonna be you know bill when am i going to move in this path of choreography and not necessarily dance when did that uh, switch happen for yeah, you yeah
0: so um so so then uh so once i graduated i thought okay i really need to kind of work as a dancer and i should really have that experience and you know that i'll do little things on the side and build mm-hmm. myself up so i joined um matthew Bourne's company at that time in new adventures and um and i did seven years of performing with the company um and, and you know i was kind of, i was very happy and i was doing things on my side and i thought oh this is great we'll just keep going and then there was just there was a very clear moment and i maybe this happens to a lot of performers or maybe it's a, it's a conflicting moment for some performers, but um, we were doing Nutcracker and I was playing the the Knickerbocker Glory. So I had like this big, like some whipped cream on my head and um, there was just, I think it was coming towards, we were in one of the venues on tour and I just came out and there was an bowed because it was, there were musical bows, you know, so we had musical bows. So I did my bow thing to the audience and I looked up and I just remember feeling this immense... Um, Gratification and satisfaction, and I thought, oh, I feel like, oh my God, that's. I think I'm done. I don't think I need this anymore. I don't need this applause. And you know, then I went, and then we did like the full bows, you know. And I remember those bows. It was this very like surreal, like slow motion moment where I I was looking at everyone. I was looking at all my peers looking out to the audience, and I felt different. I was like, oh. Like I, I don't. I'm not a part of. I don't feel like I need to be a part of this. Wow. This ritual of uh, performing and getting the the gratification at the end. Mm-hmm. And I came at the end, and you know, of course, Matt and I are together, and I, and we had dinner. And I said, you know, I think, I think I'm ready to move on. And he goes, What do you mean? And I said, I said I had a moment, and I feel like it's I'm ready to move on and to start choreographing now because I was starting to really. Stand in the wings and, and watch dancers and go, ah, oh, what would you do with that person with that amazing mm. talent? And then I'd like, and i would be listening to the audience and go, oh, isn't it how reacting to that moment and how they're loving that? And, you know, so I was working a lot of stuff out. So, and then it just, and then that moment hit. And then it was this, um, fantastic sense of sort of excitement and then very strangely that one thing just kind of led on to another in a very smooth way I felt think I felt very lucky to make the Mm -hmm. transition from a dancer on stage to choreographing because I already had like I was choreographing a play at the National Theatre and there was things happening at the Place Theatre for um, so I became like a resident artist so I had this Mm -hmm. position to kind of start um, exploring, so it was a very nice, smooth transition, which just felt completely natural.
2: Yeah. Right, that is lucky. <laughs> lucky. Um, that's
3: what I was thinking yeah. too. I was like, "How lovely to have that moment." <laughs> well, we yeah, something I think, else coming. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah,
0: I think sometimes people can struggle. Like, it's it's a moment about as a performer, like when when do you stop and mm-hmm. and is mm-hmm. it only when your body starts to break down or you know because there's something in you know like ice love working with performers who are so hungry and you can see when but and i've worked with uh, mature performers when the body doesn't do it anymore but their spirit is so fully there and you can just see that excitement before the curtain goes up and you can see how elated they are after
2: the performance because
0: right. that's what they are they are that that beast you know that creature
2: right. yeah yeah um I, so you mentioned uh, already at that point you're choreographing for a play and and if you look at any uh, your resume it's like you've done about everything imaginable you know musical theater opera you know commercial work uh you know film you you are not tied down to you know I I must I'm making work at a proscenium for this (laughs) company you know it's like you you've always been very open so um tell me about tell me let's talk a little bit about that and like was that something you always wanted like to, to have you know your your choreographic Voice kind of peppered throughout these different forms of the art. Yeah,
0: I, like you know, I think nothing was planned at all. It like, right. went from one thing to another, and I think um, what happened really with I was I was in an opera at the English National Opera, and um, Jonathan Lunn was choreographing an opera, and he couldn't be at some of these technical rehearsals and it was a little there was a dance I came in watching he said well you just come in and sit in and just make sure that it's all okay I was like sure Mm -hmm. I was really happy to do that Mm -hmm. and um I I went to rehearsals and the director was Francesca Zambello who's just the most incredible wonderful director who's just like a force of nature and um and, she, and she's absolutely hilarious. I mean, she's the, the, just the, like, I wish she would have like a stand up or like, her, her own show because she's just so entertaining. And um, so I was sitting in the tech and I was, I was helping Jonathan out and, and we just got on really well, you know. And she would like quickly test me as well. She'd be like, So what do you know about this opera? And I'd be like, Oh my God, thank God I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, so basically, and we, we really hit it off well. And then she started to do, she was going to do Love Away at the Royal Albert Hall, which is like a massive 7,000-seater nice, uh, right. like arena. And um, she just said, she just emailed me, as like, you know, it was really fun working with you, just, you know, would you like to do this? And I was like, that has really been thrown in the deep end. Um, so it was a kind of like a lesson in all of that sort of collaboration. And, um, you know, there was like 150 chorus, you know, and it was this this massive thing and it was very ambitious. Wow. And um, she would just kind of go, you know, without sort of almost giving you preparation, she will be like, oh, there's like, you know, Rosetta's aria, go, it's yours, do do what you want to do. And then you would have to, you know, then she would come and like finesse things. Um, And I remember because the space was so enormous and we had to, create this the Cafe Monmous scene very, very quickly. So it's bring tables and chairs and people and like props. It was like massive to create this like sort of 1945 Paris. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how all the the waiters of the restaurant in the scene how they were gonna you know get out there. So I suggested that they that we put them on rotor skates. And Mm -hmm. And then it became this, this fantastic thing because then it, the scene opened up that fantastic actor music, and all the all the waiters came on on roller skates and we had say like, these like roller skating waiters carrying food and this whole scene. So we had a great it was it was a really great uh, collaboration. And then I did a few more shows with her. And then you know then one thing leads to another. Then you know someone else asks you, and then it starts kind of you kind of get into the scene a bit, mm-hmm. and um, and and for me it was. Just great, all of them, because I've worked with just the most amazing directors, which I think you learn so much from. And also when you as a choreographer, when you when you're touching material, whether you're doing a Mozart opera, so you know, you get to touch that material or if you're doing a Tennessee Williams play or a Shakespeare, you know, to actually hear those words every day and touch and and, you know, and contribute towards it, it. I think it's very, and then when you come back to your own work, you know, you only feel like you have more sort of goodies in the bag of, mm-hmm. of knowledge that you, right. can, uh, that you can go to. You can go, oh, yeah, no, I know what, I know how that transition could possibly work because it, right. it happens in that play or in the right. world there's that segue or you know or you can break that rule like that was done there you know so it's so i feel very uh um, grateful for and, and continue to love to work with directors you know
2: were, did you have any background in opera or were you learning on the fly here <laughs> Nothing.
0: No, and I don't
2: and I don't read music. Mm-hmm. I don't
0: read music. Ah. So I just have to, I mean, I can follow a score, but I can't, you know, I don't know the detail of the music. Mm-hmm. So okay. I have to, you know, so you have to get very, very um organized. But you know, but there's always, you know, the accompanists are always amazing. I remember we did um did the death of Klinghofer at the Met, and you know, some of that John Adams music was really impossible mm-hmm. um to count. Mm -hmm. Um, the accompanist, you know, we laid out, laid out the counts and you work with somebody and then, and then you get there, you know, and then you have dance accounts as well. (laughs) right? (laughs) Divided up into eights and twos and ones here and there, and you know, it kind of works out.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So you've already mentioned narrative works before and how, um, that's been of interest to you. And I, I wonder while you're talking about working within an opera, did you like having those restraints of a narrative? Maybe you wouldn't even consider them restraints, but like having this narrative that you had to work within and how do you feel like that's kind of influenced other narrative works then that you've gone on to do in the future and your passion for um, working within a story like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, often it, often in an opera or a play, when you're kind of contributing a dance, it definitely has to tell the story or help the play because the first thing else is just cut it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. In and and rehearsals for like six weeks, working really really hard, and they go, oh, it's just not forwarding the plot. You know, so oh, right. and, and film work as well. You know, you have to really try and get the narrative like like in there. So mm-hmm. I like to ask a lot of questions, like. You know, like why is this happening? How is this going to help? What's it going to do for the audience? Um, So um, you know, for example, like let's take Carmen, which is classic movement, which is the 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 Bohemian dance. You know, where she Mm -hmm. kind of dances with you know the big the big number, and um, you know, so you have to kind of figure out a way to incorporate um, the characters together so that um, it's not just, you know, the singer standing in front and there's like a a dance happening behind it, like a pop video, you know. So, and again, that was with Francesca Zambello. So we spoke a lot about how to...
4: For free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.
0: Great, and how, and also in the, in the casting, because then you you know when you have the uh, the luxury of casting specifically, and say for something like that that common production, um, I really really wanted um, Rubenesque women, you know, because I was looking at a lot of flamenco, and I thought, oh, that would that would that would help, you know, that will look yes. good, you know, I, I didn't want to get like young, you know. Um, tiny, you know, dancers that, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted some women, you know, and I was looking at a lot of Fellini influences. as well at the time, so that's going to help. So it's, so it's things like that, that kind of like, so you can blend and, and blur the edges. And then when you're working with the singers and when you're working with actors, um, and I remember working on a Tennessee Williams play um, and working on, you um, uh, the uh, the last menagerie that's it and it the Amanda scene where you know the drunk scene where she's you know she's she's kind of like getting higher and higher, and we had so much fun and it became um almost choreographed but but there was but she could play within it, and it was mm. so um i like I learned so much from that because then when you're when you're working with dancers on a narrative, then you can do that where you can go actually it doesn't need to dive i just need to get your body language involved in this and that's Mm -hmm. that's how you can you know it doesn't always have to be the steps it's it's how you're holding the body and what's that how that's uh what that's suggesting to the audience
2: yeah i love that because i think um you know your work with actors or singers it's like it's you can still communicate so much physically like using your body language without even um needing actual steps. Like um Alistair always references Judy Dench and Romeo and Juliet and said Lynn Seymour took like some sort of physical um action that Judy Dench would do and she put it into um Romeo oh, and Juliet. Fantastic. She would just do that in the balcony scene. And it's like yeah. some people like they can have that physical awareness and it's still yes. interesting.
0: Yeah. And one can influence the other. That's great. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let's get into talking about the work you're doing in Houston. It oh. has um, sort of, I mean, I guess it's not that atypical now, but it's probably unusual in your own life as a choreographer and that it's taken several years, not <laughs> <Yes>. any, <laughs> you know, it's not through your own choosing, but it, it was intended to premiere in the 1920 season. Um, 2019, 2020, but of course, was sidelined due to COVID. So I'm just curious how far along you were in the process when it got temporarily, temporarily shelved, and what that whole um, experience was like.
0: Yeah, and actually the, the the concept for the piece was a, was quite a different, it was a different approach. You know, mm-hmm. so when I first started speaking to Stanton and I was very excited about coming to work with the company and I think I just finished doing something. Um, I just done a piece for Access Dance um, in San Francisco and it was quite a dark piece, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, but it was a great experience, but it was something like, so every time I kind of do something dark, I think, oh, let me, you know, let me let's do something a little bit lighter and, you know, a bit more fun you know mm-hmm. um, to just kind of release a little bit you know so you're not sort of going from one dark thing to another <laughs> and um and and you know and I proposed a few ideas to Stanton and he loved the idea of um, good vibrations because this was a song that I've always loved and I was like you know I'd love to kind of turn the song into a kind of a f- sort of fant- fantastic ballet, you know like a, mm-hmm. a um like a 25-30 sort of minute sort of experience where you kind of just live in the song
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: kind of um, busby berkeley way you know not mm-hmm. on not, not the 30 ways but in then that idea that you know that they could just keep going on and on and you just kind of have different sections and we would play with it and marco would design it and we'll see we'll see what happens you know um so we and i was working with chris austin who's the uh, who's the arranger and um, and he started, we started talking about how we are going to approach the music and dissect it and how he's going to take each section and how we're going to merge everything. And it was all, you know, everything was kind of cooking. And then, you know, then you know what happened. And, um, and we were all just like, you know, and everyone uh, was having their own experiences. And then so I s- kept talking with Chris and Mark and I said, well, let's just keep, you know, to keep us going, let's keep having conversations about what this what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you have you have time on your hands. And I was mm-hmm. looking deeply at the lyrics and watching documentaries about the Beach Boys and, um, you know, researching California, and surfing and that scene and what was really happening at the time. And um, and then the the arranger, Chris, Composer said to me, "You know, is there any? Is there like any narrative? Because I'm just finding it a bit difficult just to kind of like go for like you know we are just talking about textures, you know, and was that mm-hmm. same thing? Like when I was young, was like, he, like I felt like oh, he doesn't know why you know why it's happening, He's mm-hmm. something." I said, "Well, let me let me stew on this a little bit," and I started looking at the song in a in a deeper way, and you know, which is a song really celebrating this this woman basically, and it was, you know, um, who, you know, it's this perspective of a young man who's feeling the vibrations of mm. a, of a, of a beautiful woman. And she's giving him, you know, excitations. To
3: quote,
0: <laughs> elation. And, um, you know, it's so, and I think like, Oh God, you know, and then, and then also, you know, I didn't want—I didn't want like anything. that just felt so kind of, you know, male, female. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like it's sure. just too straightforward. And at one point, I thought, "Oh, do I just put the whole company in bikinis?" And, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then, you know, then things happened. So, COVID—you know—we're getting so much, so much, so much imagery of of people in, in hospitals and the, the health services. You know, really going at it. And we uh, we lost our grandmother not not to COVID. I mean, amazingly, she was, died when she was ninety three, wow. um, and actually, she even she did get COVID and she survived it, um, and then she oh. actually passed away like three months later.
2: Um,
0: but so you know, but it was okay because you know it's kind of like um, a dignified. You know, I was like, what a lovely way to pass. You know, with all her family around her. Uh, you know, everyone was there. Um, supporting for that moment in her life. You know, she was a real rock in our family. And I thought, and, you know, it's the same. I've been through this a few times with people. And people, often when people on their deathbed, they often start to see the light and they often start to have visions of people from the past. And it's Mm -hmm. like, then they start talking about it. They say, oh, someone's waiting for me. Like they know it's coming. And I thought, this is a very, very interesting place. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this is this is more interesting and i and i've watched this amazing documentary with brian wilson that's just come out recently called the long journey and he's so sweet and so fragile but so creative and so kind of determined at the same time and you know he lost also his uh brothers you know he's the last standing uh, wilson so i so, so anyway it was all of that in the mix and I just had this like strong image of an of a of an elderly man passing and looking back at his mm-hmm. life as memories. And then that was and then that was it. That was like the key into how I wanted to then approach the song. Because then I was like, oh, the song um, about this woman that he loves maybe she is some kind of angel maybe she's more than just you know a, a beautiful hippie chick walking mm-hmm. down the street you know maybe she's this beaming light to him you know the way he mm-hmm. sees her you know that that you know because when you listen to the song the effect of this uh, of this person that has on, on on the character of the song is is huge you know mm-hmm. so um so I wanted to try and find a way to celebrate that. So that's how the narrative of the piece
2: mm. came
0: about. So essentially it's a memory piece. It's an old man on a hospital bed. And he's essentially having memories of his of his self as a child. And he meets um, a surfer girl. Um, and that was the other thing. Because then the, the whole surfing world opened up to me. And I was like, that is that's like another whole culture which is just... So fascinating!
2: You were um, surfing yourself. We saw, worked, saw it on the ground. I did
0: do it. I did it because we had this two-week break,
2: uh-huh.
0: and I and I thought, well, Hawaii's not that far. I didn't realize how far really was from America. <laughs> I was like, no, I'll just go to Hawaii, and then it was like, oh, it's actually a nine-hour flight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I went, to, and I went to Waikiki, and because you know we've been working, we've been doing like surf surfing in the studio, our mm. version of surfing, uh-huh. and. Um, and i thought i have to know what it really really feels like so i went for a surface and i thought there's no way i'm gonna stand up you know with this hip and this arm <laughs> and the way my my body is at the moment and um, but it's all about the size of the board so i had a 11 foot board and i had this great this great uh, instructor and he just showed me the, th- the three steps how to stand up and then he says i'm going to push you and the wave is going to come and i'm when i say go, go. And I just did it. And I just stood. It just happened. And it was magical. And I think I've, got, I've had quite a few, few good rides. And, and then you become yeah. addictive. Then you like, then you want to kind of
3: sure. get out.
2: Well, I can imagine.
3: Yeah. That sounds like um, the best research to be doing for a ballet. Like, yeah, I really so, need to get myself to Hawaii. I really have to be in Hawaii.
0: <laughs> I really have to understand it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. awesome.
1: That's you so good. those
0: sunsets. Yeah. Right. Really? Uh, but but that was really how yeah that's how we approached it. So um so it's this yeah, it's this boy who who meets this who meets this, this this surfer girl who teaches him how to surf and then we we understand they they grow up and they they're in this relationship and she gives him a surfboard as a gift and they go surfing and unfortunately they get caught in the big swell and he watches her drown and he he loses her and um, then we then we have the the old dying man mm. just experiencing the transition from from one, one point like death into the afterlife. Mm. The and then you know in the afterlife really it's you know then it's all those questions that we will ask like, you know, what happens? Or what mm. what is it? You know, do the lights just go out or is, are there angels or are there, you know, so I so in my head I wanted to recreate what maybe would have been his you know his perfect day you know mm-hmm. and, and i thought well wouldn't it be nice if you you know that if you know when you do die which we all will eventually that you just kind of live in your most perfect day like mm-hmm. eternally so yeah. um, so that so that is going to be that is the song that is when the song eventually comes in and we we lead into uh, kind of the union of the two souls mm-hmm. That sounds um, so like they come together. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that's what I was super curious about musically, because it's like you're you're bring up some darker themes, and I was like, is this a juxtaposition to mm-hmm. good Because it's I mean, there's nothing more joyous than that song. <laughs> yes. Um but so mu- musically, what is what are we what are we expecting um yeah, before so we lead was, up to that theme?
0: Yeah. So when so when I devised the narrative, then I spoke to Chris Austin's composer, mm-hmm. The Ranger and he was like okay now, because now he had something to go on you know, mm-hmm. you can play, it's, you know it's this section fan, it's like you know there's the drowning dance and there's mm-hmm. the you know there's the the beach solo or, and all sorts of things like that mm-hmm. so um so we so he wrote so he's written a score so he's kind of taken it it's very interesting what he's done and it's very very complex um but he's taken the the Beach Boys song, so we had the rights to be able to quote from the song, but he hasn't sort of directly quoted it. I guess you'd have to be a real, you know, um, staunch music to kind of really get what he's doing, but,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but there are, there are like, he's maybe taken something and reversed it and then found the notes within that and then played something and then written something and changed tempo. So it's basically a whole new score with the orchestra. Right. Um, that then, But then we also have sound design that kind of goes in and out of, on, on top of it that kind of mm. blends the whole thing so that when you right. get song you're not just kind of having, a, you know, a, a beautiful song in the middle of the
2: set of the thing. Right, right.
3: So You mentioned that you've really only gotten to start working with ballet a little bit more in the past, like, I think you said like 15 years or so. And this is your first work for Houston Ballet. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder how um, the dancers have influenced um, your choreography and what the audiences will see on stage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these dancers here at Houston, just wonderful, so playful, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's always that, you know, the getting to know each other thing is always a little bit scary because you think, Oh, are they, you know, like, are we going to be, are we going to be, can we be playful with each other? Mm -hmm. You know? And also it's like, you know, there's, you, you can't find my schedules and you know that, that, you know, that your dancers are rehearsing another piece and they come into the studio and you say, okay, let's set a task. And they're like, can we not just learn, you know, but I didn't have any of that. I felt like the dancers have been so playful and so, um, collaborative and really, um, Curious and 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 uh, and interested and committed, and it's just been it's just been a, a joy from from day one. Been really really lovely. They are just mm. lovely, and they are really inventive dancers. I mean, they really know their bodies, and they have both you know the classical technique, you know, beautiful strong classical technique, but they can move, you know, and they can they can ripple their bones, and it's just mm. lovely. And they can make friends with the floor and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> just, just, you know, glorious for me.
3: I wonder if because they do work so much with um, new choreography, you know, Stanton Welsh also creates constantly on them. If you get the sense that that's also what makes such a fertile environment for a choreographer such as yourself.
0: Definitely, definitely. I think it's like when when, when someone paves the way, you know, and then you get, and also I think I think now, I think globally, ballet dancers in all ballet companies now are so much more versatile than than you know what it would have been you know 40 you know 30 years ago mm-hmm. because <clears throat> you know there's youtube and instagram so people are also like watching things happening and they imitating it and they creating their own um language to say or presenting themselves in in different ways so i think it's just a, there's a lot more accessible influence mm-hmm. um, so i think i think dancers want to be um I think they want to be versatile. You know, I think they definitely—you definitely get the sense that they want to, you know, tick their classical, you know, checklist and right, yeah. nail down all those classics. But I think they equally uh, like being a part of a process and creating something new, where um, where there's um, a collaboration.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. I want to hear um, if there's any. I want to know if there's any interesting background to the acquiring of the rights. So I have ah. to ask some, because last time you just told that amazing story about getting the rights to Bjork's music. Yes, um, was was this just like a we're good to go, or or was yeah. it complex? Well, it's
0: it's this one was really easy in a in a very strange way. It just it just happened. Um, Jill Graham, who's the agent, who's who's amazing, who's very connected in the musical world, you know, Joby Talbot and Rufus Wayne Ryan. so she really and Chris Austin, who's the who's the composer um, arranger who also actually arranged um, the score for American Paris that Christopher Wielden did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he got a Tony for that. So, you know, so she had, I mean, really a high caliber of, of people. And she just knows. So so I spoke with her. And she said, well, what do you what do you want to do with this song? And I said, well, we want to take it and we want to kind of, we want to call the piece Good Vibrations and we want it to, like, live in the song and we want to mm-hmm. kind of quote from it and, um, you know, explore it. hmm and often, often with music rights, they say, yeah, sure. So what you can do is if you, why don't you kind of like compose and do all of that and then like send send us a tape and then if we like it, then we'll, you know, we'll let you do it or not. And then that that's when you get caught up because there's no way you can say that to a composer and say, oh, why don't you go and write for eight months? And then if they don't like it, then oh, sorry. Wow. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean so you have to you have to try and negotiate a place where it's like no 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 like either we're doing this or we're not you know mm. and then they came back and they're like okay do it
3: mm. so did and you have to send them something at all or
0: no, no because because we said with well, that this, that's that's just we can't you know like either. that that's too much of a commitment you know like and you can't and also a ballet company can't like commission someone to write a score and then have the you know pay all that money and then have and then have them say say no no you know right. um so you you have to have a you have to have a you have to get the trust um and we we got the trust which i'm so grateful
3: for cool. yeah. yeah i wonder um were you in the studio with the dancers at all prior to covid or was this all like all the um work before then was just like conceptual.
0: Yeah, so I I visited the company before COVID just to to come and have a meeting and to start talking about casting
3: mm-hmm. and
0: watch class and everything. And then and then COVID happened. So then like nothing for all of that. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then um and then and then I just came for a visit to to cast it and then to come and create it. So there was no yeah, there was no like Zoom choreography. Yeah. Right. I did That's- one I did like one Zoom kind of session um with the students and a surfboard just to work out like if the concept that I had on how to make mm-hmm. the surf happen would work right. you know
3: I wonder if you I mean if you had choreographed a whole chunk of it already you may not have been as open to kind of shifting the whole perspective of the ballet yeah. and ch- yeah so kind of allowed you then that exactly it allowed
0: Like it just became this open book exactly yeah. there was no there was no you know, like we, I actually thought I didn't know if it would even happen because I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe because, you know, there's a point with COVID where some people were catching up on old, you know, like uh, uh, rep or trying to um, right. what program. They were like, catching up on their programming. And some people were like, you know, we're just going to wipe it and we are just doing this now. Right. Sure. And so I thought, oh, this could easily just kind of like fall through the net and just be like, we were going to do it, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm so grateful that Stanton, you know, Stayed committed to it. It was really, really lovely. That really meant a lot to me.
3: Yeah.
2: For sure. Well, we wish you the best of luck on the premiere, which is next week, September 22nd, and it runs through October. So we're very jealous of Texans that are in your area. Uh, of course, we'd love to be there. So, if, if anyone is in the Houston area, they can check out houstonballet.org to find tickets. And um, I'm sure it's going to be great. It's it's just such a pleasure speaking with you, Arthur, always.
4: Yeah, always. Thank
0: you so much. Love to speak with you guys.
4: Thank you. Thank you.